0: Get your sugar sugar postpartum deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. Ugh, I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long, and with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful library. Happy listening. Welcome to Birthful Mighty Parent or Parent-to-be. I'm Adriana Lozada.
1: Being an obstetrician, most of the births that I've seen because of the nature of the UK system of obstetricians only handling abnormal birth my mind and my uh, memory of births is full of medical problems so having these two people that I trust who I've observed have good results was very beneficial for me an antidote for my many years of immersion in problematic obstetrics
0: that's Dr. Amali Lokukamage, who is a consultant obstetrician and gynecologist involved in medical education in London, UK. And she's talking about the connection that she developed with her midwives and some of the really deep work that she had to do after intuitively deciding that birthing at home was the best course of action for her and her baby for this particular pregnancy. Dr. Mali is also on the board of directors of the International Mother-Baby Childbirth Organization and is a former member of the Advisory Board of Human Rights in Childbirth. Now, this episode not only ties really nicely with our previous episode on home birth with Rubina Khaled, but it also circles back to so many of the ideas that we've touched upon during this series on models and places of birth. My conversation with Dr. Amali was in fact one of the very first ones that I did for the podcast and so I find it a very appropriate way to close out this series. Her unique perspective is just really puts on a spotlight on both the theoretical and practical aspects of birth while also championing healthcare human rights, upholding the importance of autonomy and bodily integrity for true respectful care in pregnancy, and uplifting the value of connecting with your body and with your intuition, which is of course right up our alley. You're listening to Birthful, here to inform
1: your intuition.
0: Dr. Amali, thank you for taking the time to talk here today.
1: Hi, Adriana. Nice to to be with you on your show.
0: So, you also have a son who, while in utero, led you to have a home birth. Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Well, let's start off with the fact that before I got pregnant, I suppose I was always a broad-minded doctor, but I remember quite distinctly for most of my career that I thought uh, hospital birth was... The best way and the safest way. And I remember again before I got pregnant thinking that women who desired home birth were misconceived, that I didn't really understand why they should want to do it. I, you know, a bit mad. But I think my pregnancy and the experience of pregnancy educated me. I think in an average medical education, Doctors are taught in an intellectual idea of birth and science, which is a very intellectual pursuit. But birth and the changes that occur in a woman during this very unusual time of life is a very physical and experiential experience. It's an immersion into an area when some women described There is a heightening of inner wisdom and uh, enhanced sense of intuitive decision making. And I think during my pregnancy, I, through some unpredictable conditions of pregnancy, not serious conditions, but conditions that kept me away from my usual place of work, I was allowed to, in fact, broaden my outlook, broaden my understanding Deprogram myself from some very fixed ideas about birth and become very mindful and aware of my body and the baby growing within me, my son, and of an exchange of awareness and information between us both. And it wasn't until halfway through my pregnancy that uh, this intuitive connection started making me feel that my body was capable of birthing normally and a subjective experience which can't be scientifically evaluated mm-hmm. but nevertheless a very strong feeling and it, a strong connective communication between my son to myself that he wanted to have a home birth because in those circumstances he would know how to give birth and And it would be the best place for me. I think being a very senior doctor within the uh, NHS, the National Health Service, I think a lot of my colleagues would quite naturally, if I'm in labour, be quite worried and have a lot of anticipatory anxiety about my birthing process. So I felt that being at home and in the kind of heightened state of, I would say, an enhanced knowledge about myself and what what was best for me would be actually the safest place to give birth for me. Though I have to say that this decision making was particular to my son. And if I were to have had another baby, and the baby were to say, "I need to go to hospital for a cesarean section," or that would be that intuitive, very strong feeling, I would do that. So. In this particular pregnancy, that was what I felt led to do through a kind of what I I would say an inner wisdom, which I wasn't really aware that a lot of women talk in those terms. But after my pregnancy, reading around the subject, I realized that a lot of people actually talk about pregnancy in those terms.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think you've hit upon a key element that I'd like to explore more, which is how Every pregnancy can be so unique and how the circumstances are very much, you know, that intuitiveness then in connection with baby can lead to different decisions and the importance of on the side of the caregivers of not applying sort of a cookie cutter care, which is something that I do you feel that is more common within the obstetric care?
1: No, I think it's throughout all of medicine. Over the last 15 years or so, or possibly a little bit longer than that, there has been a kind of one size fits all flavor to medicine, where it's felt that applying a certain way, a certain way of taking care of people to a whole population was the best way of achieving health for all. But I think there is a movement away from that. There are certainly lots of very insightful publications from very high ranking academic staff from all over the world, publishing papers on evidence-based medicine and the fact that often rules and well guidelines and protocols map poorly to uh, complex problems in patients. And there is that recognition that one has to tailor care and also that there should be the respect for autonomy in decision-making. But I have to say, in, in the UK, and I'm aware that there's a difference between the UK and the States, home birth is one of the sort of average options for women. It's not thought of as a, a sort of a strange thing to do. And we have an integrated healthcare system where midwives and doctors communicate with each other and have uh, joint care over women. And that's what I felt that I received in my particular case. So there was always that sort of team working.
0: And things are definitely a lot more disjointed over here in the U.S. where I'm at. What do you think would be a good way to get the doctor students to try to adapt this model a little bit more?
1: So part of my everyday role is with uh, the medical school that I work for in London which is one of the sort of foremost ranking universities in the UK, University College London. And within that medical school, we have a component of training, which is about the integration of psychology through every aspect of health, ethics and law, what they call social determinants of health, interlaced with all of medicine, And within that kind of integrated health stream of education, I certainly deliver a a regular syllabus to students on the psychobiological aspects of birth. For instance, I show my medical students, each cohort, which come to me every uh, four weeks, Deborah Pascali Bonaro's organic birth, which is the shorter form of orgasmic birth, so they can see that birth is not necessarily uh, a difficult and painful experience, but can even be joyful and pleasurable for some. They get lectures on evidence-based medicine, risk and autonomy and human rights. And so in my medical school, we certainly do deliver that type of education. And certainly there is hope for the future. What I've noticed that after you graduate as a doctor, there is A little bit of education on the psychobiological aspects of pregnancy, but not as much as I think the future doctors will bring to the table. So it's more the older generation of doctors that probably haven't had that type of education.
0: Yeah, I'm just I'm thinking and trying to figure out because I find that not a lot of the doctors that are coming through the ranks get to experience a natural birth or get to see how it can develop without having to meddle with it. And like you were saying, maybe that the other colleagues around you, if you were to have the birth at the hospital, would be worried and that there's enough research that shows how the energy in the room and that worry can affect how the moms react to labor and how labor develops. So I guess the essence is trying to get them to to see films like Organic Birth and to, uh, it's such a uh, requiring a paradigm shift in their minds of seeing it as a normal thing.
1: I think you're right. I think I remember when I was in their shoes, oh, it's probably about more than 27 years ago or more. I got more experience in normal birth and my education, which was typical of medical students and my cohort of colleagues is that I had to observe 10 normal deliveries and then conduct or be involved in 10 further deliveries. And now, because of the rise in cesarean section rate, it is much harder for medical students to actually gain that experience. And it's quite conceivable that the average doctor who doesn't end up doing obstetrics will only have been exposed to perhaps one or two or three normal deliveries in their lifetime. And most of them uh, would have had some form of intervention, like an epidural. And that's why I think it's quite important. And something I'm pushing for is for the use of audiovisual materials about normal birth. In my medical school, medical students could go to a home birth if the timing was right. But because it's rather difficult in fitting it into a syllabus. The audiovisual and the video materials about a home birth is probably one of the best ways for them to get an idea of that type of birth, which is so, so different from a hospital setting. And even if, say, a student doctor goes on to pursue the speciality of obstetrics, then In the UK, where midwives deal with normal pregnancy and the doctors deal with the abnormal stuff, there's even less opportunity to see a physiological birth, an undisturbed birth, and even more important for visual materials to be there for a doctor. So it's my hope that we can develop this sort of thing in the speciality training that occurs after your basic medical degree. But I think it'll be a bit of a slow process. And I can see that the World Health Organization is very interested in respectful maternity care. And they've even understood the word obstetric violence. And they've even understood the concept that in facility-based birth, there can be a focus on intervention for no, no good reason. Of course, facilities have to be there for obstetric emergencies. And that's one of the basic needs of a community. But certainly if the World Health Organization is understanding this, there is movement and understanding within medicine.
0: Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off but I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, When she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at DrMomButtBalm.com. That's DrMomButtBalm.com or look for it at Amazon.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns and sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives we may not have the time to research and manage said investments. Which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So, for example, I take advantage of Acorn's roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert build portfolio that fits you and your money goals then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy peasy investing. Head to acorns.com/birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors, LLC Acorns, is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities, LLC. Member FINRA, SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. And I like that there's movement so that what you're speaking to is the movement that happens at higher levels and institutionally, globally. And I think there's also a movement on the consumer individual basis where moms are becoming more informed and trying to realize that, they, that it's their experience and they do have choices and they need to inform themselves so they can make the choices that are right for them. But I also think it's really important for them to hear things like what we're talking about. About, sort of demystifying a little bit the authority, not authority, but the physician as all knowledgeable, because if their wishes are to have a natural birth, it's hard sometimes to have that intuition be heard and to find your vo- voice to speak loudly when the person who very much is caring for your health may not necessarily trust what you're feeling or have a relation or know what you're feeling because they haven't been exposed to it and just know the intervention part of it.
1: I think medicine still has a long way to go in understanding, how should I say, inner wisdom, the body speaking. There are some scientific publications coming through with a scientific concept of intero-receptivity, which means that the person becomes aware of what's happening in their body, their inner sense of balance. And interestingly enough, there have been a few fledgling reports about how oxytocin increases intero-receptivity, increases your inner awareness of what is going on. Hmm. So that's interesting. I was actually... Uh, amazed to hear that in my own university, as part of this integration of professional development module that I was talking about, that there was a lecture in second year of medical school on embodiment and the definition of that in psychological terms. So again, there is some movement within academic circles, but that is definitely not a sort of a, a, a strong Message that's going out in the average education. So, the only terms in which a woman can vocalize her needs by whatever means, whether she has intellectually thought about it or it's through her intuitive reasoning, is human rights and her rights to autonomy over her body. And that is something that is recognized worldwide. And so that is probably the only avenue in which a woman could articulate the rights over her body integrity, which is another term that the World Health Organization had in their statement about respectful care in pregnancy. So in my average antenatal clinic, which I hold weekly, when I hear women with these sort of requests, I use a multidisciplinary approach. But what I listen for, but again, this is just my perspective, is whether this decision has come from a place of inner wisdom and listening to their bodies, or whether it's an intellectual pursuit, just for the principle of wanting an idea intellectually, or for the principle of human rights, or the principle of feminism. And then I I have to admit, I feel a bit more uneasy, because it's coming from a place where the body hasn't been listened to. But whatever it is, and whatever the processes that are going on in my mind, I recognize that fundamentally, that a woman has autonomy. And as long as things are discussed and from a hospital's medico-legal perspective documented, then I organize a multidisciplinary team with senior midwives, and we try to do the best that we can, essentially. Uh, And that's my personal practice. But I know that that isn't the experience of all women. Um, But those are the principles that I employ at my hospital.
0: And so what would you say to moms, both from a professional and a personal um, point of view, in terms of how they can increase that tuning in and listening to their intuition?
1: What helped me in my pregnancy was actually, and this is not a recipe for all by by any means, but what really helped me was slowing down. If you're rushing around, if you're at work, it's harder to get there. But if you have no choice but to rush around, I did pregnancy yoga, which helped me sort of slow down, become very aware of my body. It had time for that connection to my baby And certainly there are publications saying that the mindfulness practice in pregnancy yoga does reduce fear and apprehension of birth and gives you a sort of an awareness. So that may not suit all people. But I think in a Western civilization, that hasn't been around for, you know, eons. One has one's body. And if you're given the space and if there's support in society, support, of the partner, or if a woman can find a group where they can talk to other pregnant women, that can also help. I think there is a study by an author called Taylor from UCLA that says when women gather together and talk in circles and share their concerns, their oxytocin levels go up and then their stress levels reduce as a result of that. So group circles of women would help. I'm not proposing a one-size-fits-all way to...
0: And I wouldn't expect you to.
1: <laughs> yeah. But those are things that help me. And I think for individual women, they, might, they may find their own solutions. But having some space to be with themselves, to explore themselves, and hopefully a bit of support so that they can get that space is a way into that kind of sense of health balance, inner awareness. Mm-hmm. A doula is, is, of course, I think another way in. Having support, having continuity of midwifery care. I think that there's something about the biochemistry of a trusted relationship and support that, again, I think may have something to do uh, with the biochemistry of trust. And we you know oxytocin's involved in the biochemistry of trust. And then that would give you perhaps a sense of, internal awareness. So, you know, the, those those sort of things.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm really liking that phrase, the biochemistry of trust, because it really brings together the science and the intuition and mind and body and spirit and all of those components that make us whole.
1: Yes, I think that's quite a topic in health, actually, that's hopefully going to be expanded upon, as I can see that colleagues are awakening to that in terms of Decision making.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to start using it a lot more as a phrase. I think it, it conveys a lot. Now, in terms of the support that you were talking about, when you made your decision, which was I'm sure unexpected even to you, how did he, the people around you react? How did did you find the support, or did you find surprise or astonishment?
1: I had continuity of midwifery care from I suppose midwife senior midwives that were very good colleagues. So that was good. And they, I knew that two good colleagues were going to be there, two midwives. So I know you, you could say that maybe not all women would have that opportunity, but being an obstetrician, most of the birth that I've seen because of the nature of the UK system of obstetricians only handling abnormal birth, my mind and my Uh, memory of births is full of medical problems. So having these two people that I trust who I've observed have good results was very beneficial for me, an antidote for my many years of immersion in problematic obstetrics. Some of my colleagues, not my immediate consultant colleague who looked after me, but a couple of my male colleagues were very concerned and I could hear them saying, oh, please do have a cesarean section, Amali. Mm. Anyway, you know, that's their perspective and that's where they're coming from. And I, you know, with all the doctors that really have a lot of consternations about home birth, I really understand their perspective. I completely get it because I remember being in that position before. There's a principle in global health, which I think has led to the WHO having their recommendation to the world saying that women should be directed towards facilities for birth, is a model in global health called the three delays model. Are you familiar with that, Adriana? I am not. So the three delays are, the first delay is the woman or her immediate caregiver not appreciating a problem in pregnancy and not knowing that there is a problem means that they don't seek the relevant medical health care. The second delay is once they have realized that there's a problem, there may be infrastructural issues in terms of lack of transport or uh, societal issues in developing countries, say a woman has to gain permission from a village leader to travel to a hospital and there can be delays at that level. And then the third level of delay is problems with the actual facility. In a developing country setting, perhaps it's lack of blood transfusion or the necessary surgical expertise or any kind of that sort of stuff. So there has been, on a global health level, a kind of worry about these three delays, and that's why they've recommended facility-based deliveries. But then now, and certainly the Safer Motherhood and USAID have picked up the fact that facilities can't cope with that many normal women in labour, And that when you herd people into a sort of industrial model of healthcare, the humaneness of that care reduces. And that's when you get the disrespectful care. So I think going back to the experience that has happened in England that has led to the fact that we are now becoming more aware that we have to have compassion, which is an obvious thing in the system, is because of the principles of medicine from a kind of political, infrastructural kind of perspective where there has been a thought that to make health efficient, you have to kind of have a factory line model and human beings just don't work that way. And I think this is now being recognized. So we have to see what comes forth and I have no uh, solution for every woman in terms of if she has difficulties with a healthcare provider, uh, what she has to do but look locally and see what the setup is in terms of support. That's all I can suggest, really.
0: And and it's a huge suggestion because I think the fact that we're talking about this and women hearing that there are possibilities and options and choices and that they can be encouraged to go and look a little deeper and listen to their intuition and to their bodies will ultimately improve the whole system, both from the upper level and the consumer level. So I thank you so much for, one, having listened to your intuition (laughs) during pregnancy and also for all the work that you do to try to make birth a better experience for all moms.
1: Thank you, Adriana. Lovely to talk to you.
0: That was consultant OBGYN Dr. Amali Lokukamage. Her most recent book is called Within the Pregnant Pause, where she combines medical knowledge with mindfulness, beauty, and compassion. You can find Dr. Amali on Twitter at Doc Amali. And you can connect with us on Instagram at Birthful Podcast. In fact, we would love to hear what your biggest takeaway was from this episode. So if you're not driving, please take a screenshot right now and post it to Instagram with your thoughts and make sure to tag at Birthful Podcast so we can see it and share it. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful library. Happy listening.